Um, and my title, as I've said earlier, is The Connection Between Fear and Peace. The Connection Between Fear and Peace, which aren't generally two things we would put together, but I think this psalm does, because it begins by talking about fear, and it ends talking about peace. There must be some kind of connection. Fear is everything, is, is an experience we, we're very familiar with, whether we're very young or more older. Um, we all experience fear, and it comes when you least expect it, much of the time. Um, I had, as many of you will know, my mother's been in and out of hospital quite a lot recently, and I had a phone call from my father yesterday to say my mother had gone into hospital again yesterday. Um, fortunately, she came home late last night, so it wasn't uh, an overnight stay, but you just kind of never know. And whenever the phone rings these days from my father's phone number, um, our, our phone says, call from home meadow when he rings, which is their, the name of their house. And my heart does that double flip thing of, oh, I'm glad it's my parents calling, but oh, what what's the news this time? And so we have this kind of thing happens quite a lot in our lives, this sort of fear. And but yet fear and peace in some context, at least in some sense, goes together from what we see here. So it was before we get into the detail of the psalm, let me ask you the question and let's have some feedback in the in the chat box or, or you can unmute yourself. It, who or what is it good to fear? Keeping us out of danger. OK, yeah. Yes, thanks. Okay, and, and family. It's good to fear wildfires. Yes, they're very common in Cheshire, I hear. Uh, Got to be careful about those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Fire is something in general you could say it's good to be have fear, some kind of fear of in some ways or other. The consequences of sin, yeah. Fear keeps us alert. That's true. It keeps you awake, alert, attentive. Yeah. Uh, fear to cause action. Fear of crossing a busy road. Yeah, that's a good point, Simon, or Patricia, or whoever's your end. Yeah, crossing a busy road. My generation got, what was, what was the, was it Tufty? And my generation of child safety, I think it was Tufty, I think it was Tufty, the fire safety, I mean, the road safety um, campaign, crossing a busy road. Anything else? What's it good to be afraid of fearing God alone? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Thanks, Harry. We will. Yeah, okay. There are some things it's helpful. What are the benefits of a healthy fear? Other benefits of a healthy fear and what's the difference between a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear? The unknown, Silbert, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of unknowns in life in general, and we're feeling a lot of them right now. The, okay, the difference, Leon, the difference is between protection and cowardice. Okay, so f fear in a negative sense is more connected with cowardice. Was that right? And fear in a healthy sense is about protection. Something like that. Very good, yeah. An unhealthy fear can be paralyzing. That's that freeze thing. When you get frightened about something, we, we can freeze, which isn't generally very helpful at all. Quite good point. An unhealthy fear paralyzes the healthy, make, makes you act. Fear of people's opinions is unhealthy. Well, yeah, I mean, being fearful and controlled by those fears about what other people think of us, 
is one of the greatest problems that we tend to have in life because it paralyzes us as a couple of people have mentioned that's really a good point unhealthy fear can cause hypervigilant behavior oh my goodness yeah well that's and we get tense and uptight and and uh the adrenaline flows and then there's a crash later and but we get this kind of anxiety that comes from the unhealthy fear fear of this dawn fear of losing something can help you fight to save it well isn't that the plot of about half of hollywood movies i think something like that yeah fear of losing something can help you fight to save it yeah that can be a healthy fear when it's something important to you the word of god is a it gives us a healthy fear simon i guess that's what you're saying yes it does it can help us have a healthy fear which we'll talk about uh, a bit more today okay let, let's let those keep coming in as we explore uh this idea of the the, the connection a helpful connection between fear uh, and peace now before we get into the main part of what i want to talk about today about healthy fear and what it means to walk in obedience to the lord let's notice let's not forget but let's notice the emphasis of the psalm the emphasis of the psalm is not fear the emphasis in fact isn't obedience in terms of an instruction the emphasis is the blessings look at how many blessings there are and how often this comes up look at the word will for example in verse 2 you will eat in verse 3 your wife will be like and your children will be like olive shoots yes verse 4 this will be the blessing of the man who fears the lord there's there's an emphasis on blessing here the blessings are piled up uh you'll eat the fruit blessings and prosperity will be yours your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house children like olive shoots around your table this will be the blessing may the lord bless you from zion may you see the prosperity of jerusalem may you live to see your children's children it's like they're piled up one on top of the other more and more and more blessings it, it, this is what the psalmist is emphasizing is that whatever it takes to fear the lord and whatever it means to walk in obedience it's worth it because of the many 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 blessings in many spheres of life are going to come your way and it's a wonderful thing and so what he's trying to at least what i think god is trying to show us is that the fear of the lord and walking in obedience is only positive it's never meant to be something that's burdensome uh, it's never meant to be something that distances us from god or from other people it's meant to be something that we rejoice in that we're the kind of people which is a bit counterintuitive who say i am glad i fear I am glad to be obedient. It's a joy to me to be fearing the Lord. It's a joy to me to walk in obedience because of the piled up blessings that I've already received, because some of these are essentially saying you've already got this, and also some of the blessings that are going to come, because at the end of the psalm, there's a bit of a prayer there in verse 5, may the Lord bless you from Zion, so in the future may it continue. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Perhaps you already see some of it, but you're going to see more of it may you live to see your children's children implying at least for this psalmist that he's got perhaps some children but not children's children like some of us here do the future is going to be good too the present is wonderful the future is going to be amazing it's worth it and so there's a joy here the word blessing in the hebrew context does mean happiness it means more than just a superficial contextual happiness but it certainly means happiness it means you take joy in something it's a settled uh peaceful joy so the fear is connected to peace because the blessings come 
So the fruit here is amazing. We've got the fruit of, the, of what you can eat. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. So that's sort of the work environment. It's about security. It's about having vineyards. You can't have a vineyard if you don't have a safe place to live because vineyards take time to grow. And when invading armies come, one of the first things they tended to do in those days and have done in, 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 in other times is scorch the agriculture and they would destroy vineyards and um, olive groves. But he says, no, you've got your vineyards. You've got your olive groves. That's a really good thing. The vine here, uh, the, the wife like a fruitful vine symbolizes fruitfulness and symbolizes, if you look at the Song of Songs, sexual charm as well. So there's, there's, it's good news to be at home with your wife. And she's in, there's an interesting thing, a phrase here, where it says, within your house. And it's a way in Hebrew thought of emphasizing that that wife of yours is faithful. She's in your house. She's there with you. She hasn't strayed off elsewhere, which the Proverbs talk about the wayward wife straying off, going off all, over, all kinds of places. Because that, so it's, it's a kind of, um, help, um, positive, healthy lockdown or something. I don't know. But, and your olive shoots, the children are like olive shoots, which, which represents in Hebrew thought vitality. Your home is a, a place of vitality, of fruitfulness, of wonderful uh, enjoyment. There's a balance, it seems, also between home and work, the, the fruit of your labor and what's going on at home. In other words, the fear of the Lord and walking in obedience doesn't just help you in one part of life. It's not just because so that when you go to church on a Sunday morning, you're happy for an hour or an hour and a half, and then the rest of life you kind of just get through it. Or it's not about just being happy at home and not at work. It, this, is, this changes everything, uh, everywhere we go and all the things we're involved in. And it's, it's a prevision of God's great plan. As we're living, you and I, on this pilgrimage, and we're in the Psalms of Ascent, right, on this pilgrimage they made up to Jerusalem for the big festivals. Uh, we're all in this pilgrimage, and we're all partway along in God's great plan of rescuing the damage of what was done in Eden. Now in Eden, as God created beauty and wonder and majesty and all the awesome things of creation, God thought saw that as good, right? He emphasizes that all through Genesis 1. It was good, it was good, it was good. And when it comes to humankind, very good. And in Genesis 1.28, it says about the man and woman that God had made, God blessed them. There's the word again, blessed them. He didn't just make them, he blessed them. He didn't just cause them to exist, he gave them joy in their existence. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, what a playground I've given you. Look at this playground. Look at this amazing existence I've given you. This is incredible. And it was damaged. It was damaged in Eden. And ever since God has been working towards re bringing back his blessings to humankind. Ultimately, that will be uh, fully seen when he returns. And the book of Revelation talks a lot about that. We haven't got time to go into that today, but in many, many of the chapters of Revelation, it talks about God's blessing coming, coming back, coming fully again and again and again, all the way up to Revelation 22. And so that book ends the, the story of humankind and God on this earth. We start with blessing in Genesis 1. We end with blessing in Revelation 22. We live in the in-between times when the blessings are available and there'll be, there'll be a foretaste of what is to come. And, and this psalmist reminds us, and I think those of us who've lived this know it to be true, that as we walk in the fear of the Lord, a healthy fear, and as we walk in obedience to him, we find these blessings come to us. We find these joys part of our everyday life. Ultimately, God's desire 
what is God's desire for you and me? God's desire for you and me is that we are able to live a life of joy. That we're able to live day by day with joy as a natural part of our lives. There are times when there's sadness, there's times of mourning, there are times of difficulty, yes. But by and large, as we walk in obedience with the Lord, our lives are characterized by a God-given joy. It doesn't come from you and I, it comes from God, it comes from the Holy Spirit, of course. So let's talk for a few minutes here about what that might mean uh, to walk in the fear of the Lord and to walk, uh, to live in it with a healthy fear of the Lord and to walk in obedience to him. So first of all, let's talk about being touched by fear, touched by a holy fear. The word fear here in the Hebrew is yare or yah, not quite exactly sure how you pronounce that, but it's Y-A-R-E in the transliteration into English. And its origin means to tremble or to be short of breath. It's, it's like the <gasps> moment when something strikes you and you have that sharp intake of <gasps> breath. It takes your breath away. It's that kind of fear. It's that trembling. It's like when you're, when you're outside and the sky seems clear and all of a sudden there's a clap of thunder that comes from seemingly nowhere. Have you ever had that kind of experience? It's just crack and bang and you, you just jump for a moment there. It's that kind of thing. It's the kind of fear, a holy fear, that recognizes God's sovereignty, all that it is. It's a, whoa, I've just seen a God thing. It's that realization. Who can you think of in the scriptures that had that kind of experience? Okay, Moses, a couple of people say Moses. Saul, right, Saul, but... King Saul, Harry, or uh, Saul who became Paul? I wonder, someone says Paul, or oh, Moses is getting a lot of love here. Yeah. Okay, Joseph. Yeah, okay, yeah. Joseph. Indeed, indeed. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yeah, well, I guess when the angel appeared, right? <laughs> that would be one of those, <gasps> what? <laughs> Me? <laughs> Absolutely. Mary, Elsie says Mary too. Good, yeah, that's right. What a shock, that moment when Gabriel comes. Peter, James and John in the Transfiguration. Oh, well, that's brilliant, yeah, because they're up there on the mountain and all of a sudden Elijah and Moses and like, you know, this is a good place to build a shelter, do something. They are disturbed, excited. Balaam, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Balaam and his donkey, is that what you're talking about? When the donkey spoke, yeah, okay, that's like, when your donkey starts speaking to you, that's one of those, what, <laughs> moments, that's for sure. Be like your car talking to you, like having a conversation with or, you. What was that? Sorry, writing on the wall. Oh, the writing on the wall. Oh, yes, yeah. and Daniel. The hand started writing on the wall, They're like, why is that hand moving? Yeah, Right. Excellent. That's right. Jacob. Oh, yeah, for sure. Elijah. Yes, yes. Jacob again. Yeah. Yeah. These encounters. I think about Abraham when when God appears and moves in the fire amongst the sacrifices uh, or when the Shekinah comes to the temple, when Solomon dedicates the temple. Um, Moses, I think of definitely. Um, you can continue putting things in there. I'll, I'll talk about here a few things. 
for Moses, the burning bush, right? He goes to the bush and all of a sudden God speaks to him and he doesn't realize he's on holy ground and God commissions him. That's a whoa moment for him. Or Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he comes into the presence of God and and he says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And an angel takes a live coal and touches his lips with this burning live coal, which I guess it was a dream. Uh, I hope it wasn't actually physically happening, but and then makes him pure enough to be able to be called by God. And then he's, God says, who shall I send? And he says, here am I, Lord, send me. And we sing a song about that, that transformation of him. And we think of, I think also particularly of, of Saul who became Paul. That moment on the road to Damascus when the light comes down and who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Whoa, what? Blew his mind, blew his whole world apart, right? This happens time and time again in scripture. It happens to prophets, it happens to kings, it happens to ordinary people you might say, Mary the mother of Jesus, very ordinary person you could say. It happens to all kinds of people. They have an encounter with God that is a yare moment. It's a <gasps> moment. And I think, honestly, you and I have had moments like that. And maybe it wasn't a Gabriel and maybe it wasn't an angel with a live coal. Maybe it wasn't a burning bush, but we've had moments when God has stepped into and spoken into our lives and said, hey, I need to get your attention. And, and, and he did. Some of those experiences were, were quite exciting. Some of them were probably quite painful and disturbing. But this is what, one of the reasons we fear the Lord in a healthy way is we have had an encounter with God that reveals who he is, who we are. And then the astonishment is, that as we are now more clearly aware of his sovereignty, his power, his majesty, and how unworthy we are, like Isaiah, that, that still, despite that, he actually wants a relationship with us. What a mind-boggling thought. And a relationship with God doesn't really mean much unless you've had that whoa experience. It's only when we've had that whoa experience, and we recall it and remember it, and and bring it back to mind that we then value our relationship with God. Why is it that some people struggle to make the decision to become a Christian? At least it's in part because they haven't had that breathtaking experience. For one reason or another, perhaps they haven't found themselves able to open themselves up to it. We need it. And if we've had it, we need to recall it and remember it so that we are conscious of the sovereignty but grateful for the connection, the relationship that he wants to have with us. Maybe if you've been finding it a little difficult recently to want to fear the Lord and to want to walk in obedience to him, maybe it's time to recapture or seek once again a, a sense of that awe of God, a sense of how astonishing he is a sense of his vastness connected, uh, compared to our, our insignificance in a way. We're not insignificant to him, but our insignificance compared to him. But we can place ourselves in circumstances where we're available to God to let him reveal himself to us. Um, the sea does that for me. One of my uh, experiences like that was being on a boat on a ship in 1980, I think it was 1980, I was working on a ship and we went through the Bay of Biscay, and it wasn't a very big ship, and we went through a storm, and we went through this Category 8 storm, I think it was, on this ship that was, you know, was doing this and doing this, and to see the waves, and to see the storm, and I went and stood up on deck, you know, I, I, wanted, I wanted to be on deck, and 
just to feel the movement and see the storm. It was a, I was a believer. I wasn't at that point really, I would say a disciple of Jesus, but I was a believer. And it was one of those experiences that helped me, that helped me to recognize the awesome nature of God. And where maybe we need something like that. Maybe it's time to take some time away, time at least find some way to be in a place that inspires you. Whatever it is that inspires you to be in connection with that sovereignty, awesome power of God. Why not have a have a look for that and see if you can fit it in somewhere in your day, in your week, over the next seven days, maybe, but sometime soon, because we do need those times. Those times transform us. They did to, to help us to follow Jesus, but they also help us in, in growth. We see that Moses, by this experience by the burning bush, was then able to lead the people the way that God needed them to be led so they could have their freedom. With Isaiah, we find this transformation, transformative experience was what he needed to be able to speak God's word to God's people to give them hope. And of course, many prophecies about the Messiah. And we see with Paul in Acts 22 and Acts 9 and other places that that transformative experience of God's sovereignty and that awesomeness was what helped him to be prepared to preach God's word to the Gentiles. In other words, you and me, would we be here without someone like Paul having had that experience? And who else might we be able to help when we have these kinds of experiences? Who could we lead like Moses? Who could we speak to like Isaiah? Who could we preach to and help uh, people different to us like the Apostle Paul? It, it makes all the difference if we've had that awestruck moment. And then we walk in a healthy fear because we know what it is to fear the Lord. We know who he is. We know who we are. And we know we're cherished and loved because he gave us those experiences because he loves us. That's an awesome thing. So let's talk for a little bit about walking. Walking, and the key scripture here is 1 John 2. I would say, I mean, there are many, but uh, let's just have a look at 1 John 2, which lays this out most clearly, I think, of all the scriptures in the New Testament, at least in terms of following Jesus. And in 1 John 2 and verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, that's my translation, live. In many translations, it's walk, must walk as Jesus did. And indeed, the word in the Greek uh, is the same word we get peripatetic from, as in peripatetic teachers who teach around different places. It means walking around. So we must walk around like Jesus is basically what he's saying. Now, that can be taken two ways. It can be taken the way of, we need to walk around like Jesus, therefore you must do what he do does and says, and if you don't, you're a wretch and you're rubbish and you're not a true Christian. Or it can be taken as an inspiration, as in, if Jesus led the best life possible, who wouldn't want to live like that? And I think that's the point, it's really, that's the point for us today, is the way Jesus lived is the best possible way to live. It made a huge impact on people. It blessed people. It changed people's lives. It changed their eternal destinies. People got healed. They got helped in all kinds of senses. That's how he walked. Why not? Why don't we all walk like that? 
I mean, do you ever do you ever sit around with somebody and set the world to rights with a friend, right? Like I did, I did this with Fred last night, my son Fred. We sat down in 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 the dining room there, and we sat down at the table for about half an hour. And in half an hour, we sorted out all the world's problems. We did. We uh, we sorted out Trump and uh, the Black Lives Matter issues and. Uh, we sorted out uh, global hunger and uh, poverty, and we sorted out, um, uh, you know, economic fairness and uh, and all the things that Boris needs to sort out. Oh, Brexit! Uh, we sorted Brexit out. Um, uh, it was a very long list, and it only took half an hour. We sorted it all out, all done, and we agreed that yeah, we just need to let everybody know, the world know, and it'll be fine. Um, the the. I, I don't know whether, uh, anyway, but, uh, we've all kind of done that kind of thing, right? The thing is, there is no better answer for the world and its problems than for more people to walk like Jesus. I mean, that is really simple and basic. If we all walked a bit more like Jesus, everything would get better. I mean, a lot better, not a little bit, but, but transformationally, uh, uh, in a way that would blow our minds. We just got to figure out what it means for you and me. And what it means for you is probably a bit different to what it means for me. We need to work it out in our own home, and our own street, our own neighborhood, our own workplace, our own family. What does it mean? Perhaps we should do some reflecting on that. Maybe that'd be helpful. Talk as a family, talk as a married couple, talk as friends. What does it mean for me to walk a bit more like Jesus? That might be a really good conversation the longer we go as Christians, hopefully the more we walk like Jesus. I was talking to my father. I mean, it's Father's Day, and it's wonderful to be a father and to reflect on it. And uh, I'm going to talk to my father later and wish him Happy Father's Day. And the more I, the older I get, the more I realize I'm becoming more and more like my father, for good or bad. It's just one of those things. Uh, I think I'm becoming more and more like him. And... And I think there's good in that. I mean, I, I'm going to celebrate that because I think my father is an amazing chap and uh, I would like to be more like him in so many ways. And But it, that's that's the way it's meant to be with us and Jesus. The longer we live, the more we walk like him. And here's the thing I think we might want to bear in mind and then we'll wrap up in a second here, is that walking is a funny thing. When 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 you're a baby and you start to crawl, and then you you start to walk, and or you you kind of totter a bit, and then and then maybe you take a few steps, and then when you're a young child, you kind of run around a bit ungainly, and then you maybe become quite athletic, perhaps as a teenager or as a young man or woman, and you uh, you, you you become athletic and you run or you do some things, and then and then as you get a bit more uh, mature, you you just sort of walk in a more mature way. And, and then as you get a little older, you walk a bit more stiffly, let's put it that way, uh, as I am finding. It changes a bit the way we walk. And, and then perhaps as we get particularly elderly, we might start falling again, like when we were toddlers. And that happens. We, we come to that point and then maybe we can't walk in the way we used to. So here's the thing. I, I think we must not allow ourselves to believe that our spiritual life will be like that. Our physical walking has that kind of development and trajectory for most of us. But our spiritual walk can be ever more 
spiritually athletic, if that would be a reasonable metaphor or picture. We can grow stronger and walk more like him the older we get. Age is no barrier to that kind of maturity. In Hebrews 12, 10 to 13, talking about fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines for us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Peace, there's that word, for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. It's possible to get stronger the older we get, and we'll see more and more blessings. Let's finish off by reflecting on what we can look forward to. We can look forward to, back in the psalm, the Lord blessing us, prosperity of Jerusalem, which for us the parallel will be the kingdom of heaven. May you live to see your children's children. Generational impact. Generational impact. What we're doing as a church, what we're doing as Christian people is not just for you and I. It's not just for now. It's not just to get through COVID and all this stuff. It's about the next generation, physically of children, but also spiritually. I had a delightful experience a week ago. Uh, a Saturday a week ago, we had, some of you will know, we were doing a teaching series on Saturday mornings uh, on COVID and stuff like that. Some of you were there. And a surprise for me, a joyful surprise, was the attendance of someone called Kathy, Kathy Tay. Now, uh, the reason it was so joyful for me was because in 1980, I'm going to say 1986, Penny can correct me if I'm wrong with that, but I think 1986, Penny was walking down Kilburn High Road. And she was sharing her faith, talking to people about Jesus. And she came across a group of four or five friends and talked to them about coming to some events we were putting on, church things. And uh, one, one was interested, and that was Kathy. And she took a card. We used to give out cards, took a phone number, no mobiles, but a landline phone number. And Penny followed up, gave her a ring. She came to church. She studied the Bible with Penny and decided she wanted to be a Christian. She was baptized into Christ and we got to know her well. She lived on the road that goes from Kilburn up to Wilsdon and we used to go, went to her house. She cooked fantastic Chinese food, I remember. She invited us to her home. We had a wonderful time with her, very young. She was very young and uh, that was great. And then she became a student and uh, went off to the student ministry. Very bright woman. In fact, she was, while she was still learning about Christianity, she was part of a God the Gospel series I was teaching and she got the highest marks of anybody, including those who had already become Christians. She got a higher mark than anybody else. So uh, she got all the bonus questions right, which she reminded me on Saturday. She said, I got all the bonus questions right. That was 1986. She still remembers it. So I'm, I'm glad she's so proud of that. Um, and I, but I do remember that. And uh, she became a student. And then we lost touch a bit. We moved ministries. and We moved to Manchester. And then she left. she left the church. And... Um, as far as I'm aware, you know, just, just left her faith behind for a long time. And I, I now and again would see her on Facebook, but that was it. What I didn't know was, I don't know exactly when, but not that long ago, she came back to God. And she was restored to the faith in uh, East London, I believe. And, and her son, Adam, she's got a son now who's 16, was baptized into Christ as well. 
and it brought me joy, you know, for Penny. I mean, Penny's the one who, who brought her along. Um, to see somebody who I thought was lost and gone there with the, her son was also at the event, faithful to God, was an incredible joy. And it reminded me life is long. And we need what we do now matters not. Maybe you don't see the fruit of it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But if we walk in obedience now, if we walk in love of God now, if we walk in the fear of God now, the impact, the impact could be multi-generational. It's meant to be. That's how God wants it to be. Children's children. I say that as an encouragement to us. If we feel like we're not having much impact, like where is God moving? I don't seem to be seeing God do much in my life. You and I are not always the best judge of what God already has done, is doing, and will do. Our our part is to remain faithful, to do our best to walk like Jesus, to walk in obedience, to walk in the fear of the Lord, and let him do what he does, because ultimately the fruit is up to him. He's the one that gives it, he's the one that sustains it, and he's the one who will give us the joy of that fruit at the right time. It comes down to him. So I'm going to finish by reading the message version of this psalm, just as a refresher. And then we're going to pray and take some bread and wine together to remember to remember the peace that's been given us by Christ because we fear the Lord. So the message version of Psalm 128. All you who fear God, how blessed you are. How happily you walk on his smooth, straight road. You worked hard and deserve all you've got coming. Enjoy the blessing. Revel in the goodness. Your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household lush as a vineyard. The children around your table as fresh and promising as young olive shoots. Stand in awe of God's yes. Oh, how he blesses the one who fears God. Enjoy the good life in Jerusalem every day of your life, and enjoy your grandchildren. Peace to Israel. Let's pray together.